Well, good morning, church. We're glad you're here this morning. I want to give you a quick re uh, a reminder before we jump into uh, the message is next week we will be back in one service. Amen. We'll be back together. Isn't that exciting? We've got only one person excited. Are we excited about being back together? Yes, we should be. Yes. Next week, 1030, small groups at nine. I'm so excited about that, getting everybody back in the same room. It's wonderful. Some of you are wondering, how can we do that? Well, we are no longer under a number restriction. It is a percentage restriction. And so it's no longer about 50 in the room. It's about 30% of this room's capacity, which is roughly around 130 or so. So we're excited about that. And so we're excited to let people know that we'll be back together again next week. Now, we began this series five weeks ago, and we're going to wrap it up today. This series called Thrive. And hopefully if there's one really element that we have walked away with out of the series is this. And if, you, if you've missed like everything, here's the one thing I hope we get. It's this, is that Jesus in John 10, 10 said, I've come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. That ultimately Jesus's goal for our life is not to just survive this life, but it's to what? Thrive. It's not just to survive, but thrive. So we've been looking at areas of our lives that maybe can pull us down, that keep us from thriving. And so we've talked about a lot of different things. We began week one by talking about the past. We talked about how the past sometimes past regret, past failures, maybe even past victories are things that we cling to. And yet the apostle Paul said, forgetting what is behind, I press on to the goal and what's ahead for me. And so if we're going to thrive, we have to forget the past and we have to move into the future. And we also talked about a week after that, we began to talk about people that have hurt us. That one of the things that keep us down, that can keep us from thriving, are people who come into our lives and they hurt us. And we, we discovered this, that rather than responding like we typically respond, or the world would respond, we need to respond as Christ would respond. Ultimately, he would respond by showing them forgiveness. And we learned what biblical forgiveness was. And then we talked about finances. We talked about our money. We said one thing that holds us back and holds us down spiritually sometimes and keeps us from thriving is our view of money. And typically our view is that I'm an owner of the money that I have rather than I'm a steward of the money that I have. It all belongs to God. None of it belongs to me. And so I steward it. I don't own anything. And we said from the beginning, all the way through scripture, that God's remedy for an ownership mentality was always to give. The way we battle this ownership mentality is we give, giving of the tithes and giving of the offering. And so we challenge you. That was our challenge for, the, for this year about giving toward the budget and giving, you know, committing to the tithe. And we ask you to fill out that orange card. And many of you have done that. And if not, they're at the baskets as you leave. But basically, the purpose of that card is so we as a church can go, here's what somebody says they're going to give for the year. Doug will never see this, but it's a way for us to be a better steward as a church. Steward. God's money from God's people, but also it's a, it's a commitment on our part. Like when I filled it out, it was a commitment saying, I refuse to let money be the master of my life because I'm acknowledging by giving this that God is the owner of everything and Doug's the owner of nothing. So we talked about finances. And then last week we talked about another area that holds us back, and that's our commitment to the Lord. For, and I'm not talking about just a, a broad stroke commitment. I'm talking specifically about your commitment to your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That for most of us, one of the areas that we lack and one of the areas that hold us down is a lack of commitment in that area. We talk about following Christ. We talk about living for the Lord. But when it comes down to it, are we really doing the things that James told us to do? Like daily submitting ourselves to the Lord, drawing near to God, being wretched over our sin that's in our life. And so we talked about that. And then today we're going to end with maybe the most important of all of these. One of the reasons that I think many of us struggle thriving in life has to do with, and the area we need to deal with is our prayer life, right? Our prayer life. 
I would contend to all of us today that for many of us, that, that well, maybe for most of us, that prayer is the most underrated and underutilized resource in the life of a believer. Now, would you agree with that? Now, I'm not talking about praying for your wish list. I'm not talking about praying for your meals. I'm talking about getting on your knees before a holy God and seeking direction and wisdom from him. I would contend in my life, maybe it's not you, maybe it's just Doug, maybe this message is not for you, it's just for me. But I would contend that the most most underrated and utilized portion and, and resource we have as a believer is our prayer life. It's going and seeking God. How Yet, when we think about prayer, what is prayer? Prayer is our opportunity to commune with the Holy God, right? It's our opportunity to commune with the creator of the universe. It's not like talking to your spouse or talking to your kids. You are talking to the one who spoke the world into existence. You're talking to the one who's above all and beyond all, who's supreme and sovereign. And it's our opportunity to commune and talk to him. That's a pretty awesome opportunity, isn't it? And so we have that opportunity to commune with him. It's also our opportunity, prayer is our opportunity to lay our hearts out, our struggles, our fears. The Lord knows them, but just to confess them to the Lord. It's our opportunity to take someone that we know that's hurting and to lift them up for the Lord. That's called interceding on their behalf. It's also our opportunity to align our mindset and our heart with God's mindset and God's heart. See, most of us mistake prayer to think, if I pray hard enough and long enough, I'll change God's mind. No, no, no. The beauty of prayer is changing your mind. The beauty of prayer is changing our hearts and aligning them with God. And ultimately, the beauty of prayer is it's my opportunity to hear from the Lord. So while it is the most underrated and underutilized resource in many believers' lives, it's one of the most precious resources we have. And so I would submit this to all of us today. If we are going to thrive and not just survive, we must tap into the resource of prayer. And so today we're going to look at a guy who was faithful to pray, and his name was Daniel. If you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Daniel chapter 6, and I want to read the first 10 verses of this. And so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. I know it's a little bit lengthy, but you've been sitting already too long. Here we go. It says this, Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. It pleased Darius, that was the king over Babylon, to set over the kingdom of 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, we're not going to talk about that, but that's beautiful. An excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground of complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find a connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came together by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, the governors, have all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition or prayer to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document 
and the injunction. Verse 10, here's where we end it. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into the house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Let's pray real quick. God, I love you. There's so much power in this passage. May we be able to look at the prayer life of Daniel and may it be reflected in our prayer life. God, teach us today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, before we jump into some pieces of this passage, I want to kind of remind us who Daniel is. Daniel was an Israelite. Now, I'm going to give you a quick historical lesson here. If you go back to the Old Testament, uh, after the book of Judges, and really during the time of the, the, the prophet Samuel, the people wanted a king, and so God allowed them to have a king. There were three kings of the whole nation of Israel. It was Saul, David, and Solomon. But Solomon did such a terrible job at the end of his reign as king, and God got so upset with Solomon, he said, I'm going to take one kingdom, and I'm going to divide it into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom will be known as Israel, and the southern kingdom will be known as the kingdom of Judah. Now, Israelites were both the same people that lived in both groups, but one was the northern kingdom of Israel, and one was the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, the northern kingdom eventually continued to rebel against God, and the Assyrians took them over. And the southern kingdom of Israel, uh, which was known as Judah, uh, where Daniel lived, uh, they, they obviously continued to live poorly. And so eventually the Babylonians came in and killed most of them and took many of them into captivity. And so Daniel was an Israelite living in the southern kingdom of Judah who was taken captive when the Babylonians came in and took them over. Now, what the Babylonians would do is they would take these people captive, and they wouldn't take just anybody. They would take the best of the best, the strongest of the strongest, the brightest. So if you didn't fit into those categories, they slayed them there in Jerusalem. They just killed them all unless you were viewed as the best of the best. And they took those people into Babylon, and what they tried to do was to indoctrinate them. Their goal was this, and you can go back to Daniel chapter 1 and read it. Their goal was this. They wanted to bring them in, these smart, strong, powerful people, and they wanted to indoctrinate them because ultimately if they can make these Israelites or these other nations who have these strong people that we've conquered a Babylonian, guess how much stronger that's going to make our Babylonian army? Guess how much that's going to make our Babylonian country that much stronger? So one way they did that was they tried to feed them from the king's table. Whatever the king ate, they would eat. So Daniel here has been taken, he's been ripped from this area of Jerusalem, he's been taken into Babylon, they're trying to indoctrinate him to make him a good Babylonian, and yet what we find out when we read the book of Daniel is Daniel had nothing to do with it. Daniel had decided that no matter what came his way, he was always going to obey the Lord. He stayed faithful to God no matter what came his way. And as a result of that, God blessed him. God blessed him in a couple of ways. First of all, in chapter 1, they asked him to eat the king's food. And Daniel's like, I don't want to eat the king's food. He's like, he kind of worked out this deal with his servants going, give me a few days here. And if I look weak, if I look like I'm malnourished, at that point, I'll eat the king's food. But if you let me eat what I want to eat, at the end of this time period, if I look stronger and healthier than these other men, just let's let it be. Well, obviously, according to human nature, Daniel not eating the king's food, eating this little measly stuff that he was going to eat and drink, he would have looked frail by the time they came back. But we know the story, and that's not what happened. Daniel looked stronger and healthier 
than any other men that were there. Why? Because God had blessed him. God also blessed Daniel with the ability to interpret dreams. Many of you know that when he talked about Nebuchadnezzar. And the one thing that God really blessed Daniel with, similar to how he blessed Joseph in the Old Testament, is he allowed him to climb the ladder in the Babylonian culture. So all that leads us to this passage. Because in this passage, here's what we find out. King Darius wants 120 people, satraps, to govern all of the Babylonian territories. Everything they've conquered, he needs 120 people to govern it. And then he's going to take three people to govern the 120 people who are then in turn governing the whole kingdom. And one of those three people was not a Babylonian. One of those three people in their eyes was a pagan. One of those three people was who? It was Daniel. And so the people that didn't like Daniel, these other satraps, counselors, all these other people didn't like Daniel because Daniel wasn't one of them. So they had to do something to get Daniel out. And if you remember the passage, and I love this, I I wish this could be said about me. It says they could find no fault in him. That Daniel was such a man of integrity, such a man of character. When they tried to open the skeletons in his closet, guess what they found? Nothing. And so since we can't attack his character, since we can't attack his integrity, let's attack his faith. And so what do they do? They, they appealed to the, the pride of the king and said, oh, king, let's, have, let's send this decree out. For the next 30 days, the only person anybody can pray to is you. And if they pray to anybody else, let's throw them into the den of lions. So the decree was signed and it was sent out. Now, here's what I want you to notice. When the decree was signed and sent out, what did Daniel go do? What did he do? The first thing he did was what? He prayed. So when we look at Daniel's prayer life, there's three things we're going to learn about his prayer life that I want us to see see these things and also realize they need to be reflected in our prayer life. Here's the first one. It's in verse 10. It says this in verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to the house where he had had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed. See, here's the first thing I want us to notice. His prayer life reflected his dependence on God. Daniel's prayer life reflected his dependence on God. When Daniel heard what happened, when Daniel heard the decree that was sent out, the first response of Daniel was not to go find Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, three guys who had been through the fiery furnace and go, hey guys, what are we going to do? His first response wasn't to go find other people who'd come from, ba- from Israel that were faithful to the Lord. He didn't go find those people. The first thing he did was what? He prayed. He prayed. The very first thing that Daniel did was he prayed, and he sought direction from the Lord. Why? Because he knew that prayer was his life support. Did you hear that? He knew that prayer was his life support. More than any other time in his life, Daniel needed to commune with his heavenly father. More than any other time in his life, Daniel needed his mindset to be aligned to the mindset of Almighty God. More than any other time in his life, Daniel needed to hear from the Lord. And it was this moment. He prayed. He, it was his life support. And because it was his life support, it became a priority for Daniel to pray, right? It was a priority. And so the question I think we've got to ask ourselves is, is it a priority for us? I mean, when the most difficult moment in Daniel's life happens, right out of the gate, his first response is to pray. How about us? When life gets tough for us, what is our first response? Well, Doug, maybe it's to go to my spouse, okay? Maybe it's to go to a godly counsel, go seek godly counsel. Are any of those things bad? No. But should they ever be first? Come on, should they be first? No. 
Our first response when life decisions have to be made, when affliction comes our way, when decisions have to be made, when choices come our way, the first response of every believer should be the same response as, as Daniel, and that is to pray, to get on our knees and to seek our Heavenly Father. Listen, if we are going to thrive, we must pray and acknowledge our dependence on Him. See, Daniel understood that this was a big deal, that what the king had issued was huge, and he needed God's wisdom. I don't know about you, but here's where I find myself fighting in my spiritual life. I find myself fighting, and unintentionally, I find myself fighting seeking greater independence from God than dependence on God. Anybody else wrestle with that one? Now, we do that because we live in a world that wants us to be independent, right? Because if you're not dependent, if you always need somebody, we call you codependent, and that's a bad thing. When it comes to spiritual things, we need to be codependent. I need greater dependence on the Lord, right? You need greater dependence on the Lord. And Daniel came and prayed and made it a priority, and it was a life support because he knew that he needed the Lord. He depended on the Lord. And if we're going to thrive, we have to pray and acknowledge our unbelievable dependence on the Lord. Second thing I want you to know is also found in verse 10. I found this fascinating. It says this, that when he knew the document had been signed, he went to the house where he had windows in the upper chamber and opened them toward Jerusalem. And he got down on his knees and three times a day he prayed and gave thanks before God as he had done previously. Not only was his prayer life reflected his dependence on God, his, his prayer life, it was a discipline in his life. His prayer time was a discipline in his life life. How many times a day did he pray? Three. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? That's what some of you are thinking. Well, that's not, that's not the inference here. It was the idea that Daniel is setting aside some real time for himself, a real time to pray. Why? Because this time is a priority. This time is a life support system. He needed to hear from God. And are we disciplined in our prayer life? Are we disciplined? Do we see those times in our lives are so necessary because it is our life support? It is our way to commune with the Holy God. It is our way to hear from Him. It's our way to align ourselves. If not, it will never be a priority. It will never be a priority in our lives. See, Daniel understood that prayer needed to be a discipline in his life. And I would just contend this for us. A lack of discipline in the area of prayer will lead us down a path where we will always struggle with temptation. When, we are, when prayer is absent from our life, we will struggle to stand against temptation. Let me give an example. Do you remember on the, when Jesus took the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he took Peter, James, and John, and took them a little further? What did Jesus ask them to do? What did he ask them to do? Pray. Stay awake and pray. Stay here. I'm going to go ahead. You stay here and pray. How well do those guys do? They fell asleep, didn't they? Some of you are like, that sounds a little like you, right? And your scripture says, the spirit was willing, but the flesh was weak. Now you look at that story and go, these are three guys that just didn't pray. Well, think about it in context. Think about what happened shortly after, like a Peter didn't spend that time praying. When all Jesus asked him to do was to spend one hour praying, and yet Peter took a nap. I mean, just think about that. You think, well, that's not that big of a deal. Well, think about the next hours of Peter's life. Peter, after Jesus was arrested, followed Jesus into the city, and he went into the courtyard. And what did Peter do three times? He denied Christ. Now some of you are going, what Jesus predicted, I know, because Jesus also knew that he wasn't going to pray. 
Jesus also knew that he was going to fall asleep. And so my question is, what if Peter had been disciplined to pray? What if Peter had viewed that time as an opportunity and he would have viewed that time as God's means to strengthen him so he could have fought off temptation and could use that as God's means to give him guidance and counsel for the right decisions to make? What would have happened if Peter had taken that opportunity to really pray? And if you that opportunity as God's way of strengthening him for the temptation that was coming and to give him counsel and guidance for how to handle those things. You think if that was the case, the story might have been different? That maybe he didn't deny him? Sure. And I think the same thing's true for us. What ha- would happen if you and I did the same thing? What would happen if we were disciplined in our prayer life? I'm not saying you could have three times a day, but I mean some real segmented times in your day where you're going to the throne of God, not asking for your wish list, not asking for all the things that God needs to fix this, but really going to the Lord and communing with your Heavenly Father. What if we really were disciplined in our prayer life? What if we viewed prayer as God's means to strengthen us to deal with the temptation that's going to come our way? What if we viewed prayer as God's opportunity to give us counsel and guidance how to make better decisions in our life? What if we did that? Would our lives look maybe a little bit differently? I would say yes. And I think the point we got to walk away with, if we're going to thrive in life, we have to have a disciplined prayer life. Now, I know some of us are going to blow this off, and we're going to go, you know what, I pray in my car, and that's great, I pray in my car every day, but at the end of the day, the reality is we have to be disciplined in our prayer life. You know, I guess sometimes that I'm a big Rocky fan. Anybody like Rocky movies? I like Rocky. And I think it's Rocky 2 when he's about to go fight Apollo again and he stops at the priest's house and he's like, oh, would you throw up a prayer for me, right? It's like this casual sense of, hey, you know, you're closer to God than I am. Would you throw something up? And I'm thinking that's probably what most people think. You know, that's why when I go out to eat with people, they always want the preacher to pray as if I'm closer to God than anybody else in the room, right? And that's not the case, because sometimes we misunderstand prayer. Prayer is our chance to commune with God. And there needs to be a priority of prayer in our lives and a discipline of prayer in our lives. And then there's one more thing I want you to notice. And it's found in verse 11 through 16, kind of the rest of the story. Listen to what it says. Then these men came by agreement, and they found Daniel making petition. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. When it talks about there that Daniel went to the room where there's windows and he's praying, on his knees praying, that Daniel was doing that to stick it to the men, right? Daniel was doing that to go, you just watch me. I don't believe that at all. I believe Daniel was doing what he'd done every other day. In front of his window, facing Jerusalem, got on his knees, and he prayed. So when you read the passage, I don't think he's like, hey, I'm going to defy you, O great king. Watch me. No, Daniel just kept doing what he'd always done. Daniel did that because he knew that's what faithfulness looks like. And so in this passage here, it says they went and they found him making petition before the Lord and pleading before his God. Then they came near, verse 12, and they said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who's the one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes petition three times a day. 
Then the king went, and as he heard these words, uh, was such distress, set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that this is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Listen to this, verse 16. Then the king commanded that Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Man, a guy that was committed to prayer, pouring out his dependence on God, making a priority in his life. And there's one more thing I want you to notice that we see here is that Daniel's prayer life, it was continual. It was continual. Daniel never stopped praying. It was always part of his life. Did you pick up on there when he talked about the God you serve continually? He's referring to his prayer. The God you're always seeking, the God you're always pursuing, the God you're always bragging about. I mean, just I pray that the God that you're always praying to and serving, I pray that he will rescue you, Daniel. See, Daniel never stopped praying. Da- Listen to this. Daniel would rather die in the lion's den than stop praying. How committed are we to prayer? Think about that. He's like, I would rather die in the den of lions than to miss my opportunity to commune with my heavenly father. Right? So Daniel continued. He never stopped praying. It was a priority to him, and it should be a priority to us. And I wouldn't want to say this to you. If we're going to thrive, we must never stop praying. We must never stop praying for a family member to be saved. We must never stop praying for a prodigal to return. We must never stop praying for a relationship to be restored or reconciled. And we should never stop praying to be used by God. Scripture says this in the New Testament, that we are to pray without what? Ceasing. There were to always be in a mindset of prayer. And may it be said of us that we pray continually. So when you look at Daniel, here's what we find out. His prayer life reflected his dependence on God. His prayer life was a priority in his life. And his prayer life was continual. And can we say the same thing about us? I hope so. See, when I ask you to think about your prayer life, what does your prayer life look like this morning? For some of you, you might say it's non-existent. Right? And now I'm talking about the kind of prayer. Now I'm not talking about your, your wish list. No, I'm talking about real prayer life. Like really seeking God really getting to that place where it's just you and him and you're praying and you're declaring your dependence on him and it's become a priority and you're just in that mindset. I mean, really, what does that prayer life in your life look like today? For some of you, say it's just non-existent. For some of you go, well, you know, I, I try to do it a couple times, maybe around meals, I don't know. I try to do it. And I just want to say, if we're going to thrive, hear me, church, if we are going to thrive as an individual and as a body of Christ, we must tap into the resource prayer. It must not be underutilized in our lives anymore. So I'm going to ask you to make a commitment this morning. Would you commit to spending some time when you pray only declaring your dependence on God? God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I'm not smart enough for this. I can't handle this. This is too much for me, God. I need you. Would you commit to spending some time doing that? Second of all, would you commit to making prayer a priority of your life? Would you realize that it is your life support and would you make it a discipline in your life? Prayer is a discipline. And would you commit to make it that? And third of all, would you commit to be that person that prays without ceasing? That today you would commit saying, Lord, I want to be in a continual mindset of always praying, always seeking you, always, always searching and, and pursuing you, Lord. I want to be that person. So would you make those commitments today?
And so just beyond talking about prayer, here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you to pray. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to have some things on the screen here. And there's some, I'm going to have maybe just take the last few moments of the message time, and I just want to have a guided prayer time where you stay in your seat there. You can sit there, and, and we're going to pray, and I'm going to tell you what I want you to pray about. So right now, I just want you to close your eyes and bow your heads right where you're at. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. And I want you just to start with this praying and saying, tell the Lord how much you desperately need him. Maybe it's in your marriage, maybe in your, in your finances, maybe in your career, maybe in your struggle with temptation. Lord, I, I, just, I desperately need you. I desperately need you. We just pray that. Now I'm going to ask you to take a moment and just pray for our nation. I think our nation needs the Lord, don't you? Just pray for that. As you continue to pray now, would you pray for our community? Those surrounding us. Statistically, there's over 20,000 people right now at this very moment that live within a three-mile radius of this church. They're not going anywhere. Aren't connected anywhere. Would you pray for them? Pray that God would open a path to reach them. Pray for our community. I'm going to ask you, would you pray for our church body? I'm just telling you, God's doing some really cool things in our church. And when God moves, the enemy always opposes. And would you pray for protection? Would you pray for guidance? Just pray for our church body. Last of all, would you pray for your families, your husband, your wife, kids, your relationships, your walk with Christ? Take some moment, pray for your families. I'm going to ask you right now, would you quietly just stand to your feet as I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I submit to you today that I, along with many, probably am too casual in my opportunities to prayer and to lift lift up my heart to you. So God, I pray this morning for all of us that 
that we would be reminded of the beauty of prayer. That it's, not, it's not just shallow words that are, that are just kind of missed out on. But we're, when we pray, we're, we're talking to you, the one who sits on his throne, the one who's high and exalted, the one who spoke ten times and the world came into existence. We have the privilege and the opportunity to speak to you, Lord, not to your servants, not to your underlings, not to the second in the org chart. We get to speak directly to you. And may that move us this morning, that you love us so much that you would want to hear from us. Lord, we have an opportunity to have our mindset aligned with yours, our heart aligned with yours. We have an opportunity to hear from you. May we start taking that opportunity in our lives, Lord. I lift up this request, Lord, that we as a church, as we as a body of believers, that we would, when we pray, that we would declare and our prayers would reflect our utter dependence on you. Lord, we desperately need you. We need you in our homes. We need you in our workplaces. We need you in our attitudes. We need you with our struggles. We need you in our decisions. We need you in every fiber and fabric of our being, Lord. We desperately need you. And may we not be ashamed to call it out. May we not be ashamed to cry out to you, Lord. We are desperate for you today. May our prayers look like that. Well, Lord, as we think about prayer, may prayer also be a priority in our life. We let our days get filled with so much junk that we miss time with you. May we leave this place today saying, I'm going to carve out some real time every day to speak and to get on my knees and commune with my Heavenly Father. And then ultimately, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that prays without ceasing that we are always in a mindset of prayer, always in a mindset of coming to you, always in a mindset of seeking you, always in a mindset of pursuing you, Lord. My prayer is that today, our prayer life changes forever. God, we know this today. If we are going to thrive and experience the abundant life that Jesus himself talked about, we have to pray fervently. So God, just be with us. I pray you would challenge our hearts, that you would grip our hearts today, and that something might change. Our prayer life might be different after this morning. Lord, we thank you. We do pray for our nation, a nation that is broken. It's not based on the political party. It is based on the brokenness of humanity. And we see it every day. God, we pray for our community. It breaks my heart that over 20,000 people around us today are going to sit home and spend their time watching ESPN or Face the Nation and are never going to darken the doors of the church and never hear the beauty of the gospel of Jesus and gonna, if nobody reaches them, are going to slip and spend eternity in a place called hell. It breaks my heart, Lord. May we pray for our community. May you open their eyes to a church that's been planted right in the middle of them who love them, care for them, and want to point them the right way. And God, we pray for our church. We know that when you move, the enemy attacks. And may we just be reminded of that. And God, we pray for our homes, our spouses, our kids, our walk with you. God, we lift all this up to you. 
May from this day forward, nothing about our prayer life be casual, but may it be authentic, passionate, and intentional. God, be with us this morning. Be with us as we sing this prayer over one another. For it's in your precious and your holy son's name we pray. Amen.